0: Welcome aboard the USS Eranome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com/support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you and welcome aboard. think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right you see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really
1: good. Move, get out of there. Move, you move, <laughs> down. move, down. move, down. get out oh. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host... Patrick Green. How you doing?
1: I am doing great. I'm so excited we have a new comic to talk about. Yes,
0: we do. So, here we are today, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else. We are here to talk about the new first issue comic from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, who we just had on our show a few weeks back. And Patrick and I couldn't be more excited to talk about this issue.
1: This is a big moment for us as a fandom and as like a show. And just as like for the comic nerds out there, like in my camp of the woods, like this is a this is a big deal, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first product that we are getting that is definitively alien from Disney slash Marvel. This is the first new storyline we can have, you know, confirmation of what's going on. This is the first uh, like, idea of the kind of investment that they're making in this property that we've got tangible proof of. And like we said, coming out of that Philip Kennedy Johnson interview a few months or weeks back, um, you know, as soon as we talked to him, we were like, okay, we're in good hands. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got off the phone that night, I was like, oh, I was so scared about this. And now I am not scared at all anymore. And the reason uh, and we were justified in saying that because this issue feels fresh It feels different. Mm -hmm. It feels interesting. It feels character driven. Uh, And it has a level of production value that um, I think Dark Horse sometimes was lacking. And and I'm not saying that as a knock on Dark Horse because I love Dark Horse. But with a Marvel product, you're getting a, a, a significant higher investment in terms of quality control and in terms of, you know, even things like just the ink that they're using to print it. And in terms of the colors that they're using, it just feels, it just feels like a higher kind of, um, you know, like a, like a Marvel product. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, so overall, very excited to talk about it. What are your feelings on it, Jane?
0: Well, uh, I always have to say this because you, you know this about me and most of our listeners do, but I, I have a tenuous relationship with comics. I don't necessarily connect with them. Um, so going in, I, I don't like I'm not afraid or scared when I'm about to open up a comic and think, oh, like, I, I don't know. I I thought, OK, let's do this. This is a new alien product. Um, we made a personal connection with Philip Kennedy Johnson, and that really helped me get into this. Having his having the connection with him, hearing his words, seeing his face um, as we zoomed for that episode really Helped me dive into this, knowing that the they're meeting the heart behind the story. So um, opening it, of course, it was there are ma- many similar things uh, or familiar things I would say um, in this comic, but it is a completely new story. Um, there are some familiar faces in this. This is a spoiler episode, everyone. Just. Yeah, FYI <laughs> um the inclusion of bishop in this was really wonderful it's not just bishop but the bishop model they're called bishop um, which i thought was brilliant kind of ties into 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 charybdis um a little bit too which i thought wow that was a really coincidental tie there which i thought worked really well um this is not a ripley story this is not even a this is not even a Oh, here's a new version of Ripley's story. I loved it. Um, There's a lot of murky waters here. So much, um, so much, so many clouds, so many clouds. And it's hard to tell who's the good guy and who isn't. Everyone is compromised and I love it.
1: Yeah, it's that's one of my favorite parts of it, is that from the very beginning, a lot of motives and a lot of uh, allegiances are kind of hard to figure out, and they get increasingly murky as we go on. So I'm going to talk through the plot a little bit, for those of you, just as a refresher, if you've read it this morning as this episode airs, or if, you've, you know, if you're about to pick it up, do some kind of high-level plot overview to kind of illuminate some of those allegiances Jamie's talking about. I want to do that in one moment, but before I do, I want to call attention to something very important, I think. The first time a new writer comes on to any comic, you can kind of treat, and we talked about this with Philip a little bit, you can kind of treat their first issue as something of a statement of purpose, right? As a kind of mission statement for what they think these characters are about and what they think the story that they want to tell has to say. And so when you read the comic, you notice it begins and ends with this very beautiful, very haunting idea, which is a meditation on darkness, Mm -hmm. on the nature of darkness, Mm -hmm. right? So, of course, in the beginning, we're seeing Gabriel Cruz's recollections. We're seeing him talking about this queen he keeps seeing in his dreams. He calls her the queen among lepers, the goddess among maggots, right? As some sort of elemental force driving the aliens, which, of course, we have no idea if that's true or not, or if that's physiologically what's going on, or if it's just something that he's seeing based on his trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And he talks about how the darkness is something that's not just the absence of visible light. The darkness is something that Bursts through your eyeballs inside of you and takes you down with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that Philip, you know, gives us this first issue that feels in many ways brighter than other alien works that we see because some of it takes place on Earth. Mm -hmm. A lot of it takes place within the kind of bureaucracy of Wayland Yutani, which I love. Uh, A lot of it takes place not in a hive, right? Although there's a couple of pages that do. Um, And yet, in spite of that, in the back of our heads that whole time is that meditation in the beginning about darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And that idea that, like, he's showing us these character-building episodes... But that's not what this ultimately will be about. Like, it's about the characters, but it's really about the darkness at the heart of of what Alien represents that draws us back over and over and over again. And that darkness transcends the xenomorph. That darkness transcends even humanity. That darkness is an elemental entity unto itself at the heart of the storytelling that works best in this series, at least in my opinion.
0: I would agree with that. Um, There's so much going on here. there's a lot of exposition. Um, of course, it begins on Gateway Station. Um, it begins with recollections. Um, yeah, I. Well, and the darkness that you're talking about, which, what's interesting about that, especially the opening quotes or the opening investigation into that, is that this darkness is covering everything, and it. These aliens, the, they are not the darkness here. They are. They are a. a and they never were. I mean, the I, I think the legacy of the alien story is that the aliens are sort of a byproduct of the dark hearts of man. Um, I mean, or hearts of you know, I, what's happening with them? They are they are they are the arm of the darkness within, that's inside humanity. They are the arm of darkness inside Wayland yutani They are not like they are not. Yeah, they're not. They're. They're not like this evil entity. They're just, they just are what they are. Um, although again, opening page, you see that woman slash queen, whatever that thing is um, in the middle of that hive. And I don't know if that's just a memory and that's a figure that's formed in that memory, or that's a figure that's conjured because it's not necessarily anything we've seen before kind of looks a little bit like Syl from species. Um, I kind of hope, that it's a conjured image and not something we see again, just cause I don't know if that image is working for me. I don't know if I, I like that. I mean, I like the, 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 the interplay between male and female and the alien kind of does that with it's elongated head. It's a little bit curvy body where that image is specifically cisgendered female, you know? Um, but aside from that, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes and what that thing is and, uh, where this all leads.
1: Yeah, it's, just, it's a lot of questions right at the beginning, right? Um, I, I agree with you that I kind of hope that that's not a literal representation. It all, it, she almost looks like Queen Nefertiti or something, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a very identifiable image, which I don't think works great. That being said, we have no idea what that actually represents. And knowing Philip, I think he would find an interesting way to bring us back around to it. That being said, um, let's go through the plot a little bit just to kind of give a okay a little bit of an anchor point for people. So it's it begins and ends with these meditations, as I was talking about. It takes place in 2200. So this is 21 years after the fall of Hadley's Hope. It's 57 years, obviously, after the which was 57 years after the um, events on Astromo, obviously. And it takes place on, uh, it starts on Epsilon Station, which is this Wayland yutani outpost floating around, you know, Earth in some sort of orbit. Um, and we are centered pretty quickly on this lead character, like I mentioned, Gabriel Cruz, who is a retiring installation security chief, somebody who appears to have been a colonial marine before that, appears to have this long, um, tough track record with, you know, Wayland yutani where he's kind of feared by some of his you know, former subordinates. But overall, you know, he's told there's going to be a wing of this place named after you. He's kind of a hero within Wayland yutani mm-hmm. for better or for worse, right? Um, and of course, reading this as Alien fans, we're thinking for worse, we're thinking that's a a, a bad thing, which mm-hmm. it probably is, but we get more murkiness around that. Anyway, uh, he has a son, Danny Cruz, who's an important secondary character. And part of why he's retiring is to reconnect with his son. So he goes back to Earth and his son shows up and things are not the way he would like it to be. To put it mildly, his son is part of some sort of a guerrilla movement of you know resistance fighters or anti-fascist fighters against Wayland Jutani. It's kind of unclear what the basis of that is. Um, I'm sure we'll learn quite a lot more about it. But he's out there in the in the front of the house with his girlfriend or partner, and they're talking about getting some intel. You know, says so that they can break onto Epsilon Station from this meeting with his estranged father. Um, and uh, Gabriel has some sort of mystery illness as well. Anyway, uh, so they go. So the son Danny and his partner go to Epsilon Station along with some others in their movement. They break in forcefully with tremendous violence, and before they know it, they've unleashed some sort of security containment protocol as a result, and things are uh, ending with facehuggers. That's kind of the overall arc of the series as we come into it.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, this setup or, or the, the way they set this up is based off preconceived ideas. Waylon Dutani bad, freedom fighters, like, and you can tell even, like, I don't know about you, but you skew, for me, I skewed automatically towards um, Danny Cruz. Like, okay, he's out for um, the interest. He's kind of like, this is like, oh, this is like the Ripley before Ripley, you know, like, hey, we're, we're here to take down these corporations. Um, and you have people like that today in the world that we live in where they're like, hey, These corporations are not what they seem, Um, and you know they whether whether they're whistleblowers or unions or groups of people trying to out nefarious behavior on the part of corporations. Um, Which I love that alien plays in this universe of corporations. I love that that's where we come from because it will always be a truth that we live with. It will always be a way for us to to relate to this. Um, I mean. I mean, I used to work for large corporations myself. I, I, I was a whistleblower in a large corporation named Starbucks. Um, and I I know what speaking out against, um, a company is like, I know that feeling like it's, it's tough and it needs, the job has to be done. So knowing that, knowing our history, knowing the history of Ripley, you thinking, okay, these guys are here. These people are here to fight the good fight. Um, but they also don't know what they're getting involved with and their methods are a little compromised their methods are a little bit morally compromised or corrupted um and you you're posed that question do the ends justify the means um that scene where gabriel's trying to reconnect with his son you can see the guilt or you can feel and read the guilt in this character he wants to reconnect to his son he's feeling bad about always missing out never being there. This is his chance. But Danny didn't meet his father to give him a second chance. Danny met his father to get information from him and steal something from him. And I felt bad for the character after that. I was like, oh man, this son's a little bit of an asshole. And he played it, He played it to continue to keep that distance because maybe he feels like if I continue to keep the distance, I can do what I'm doing without being suspected by my dad. Like if he started to warm up to his father, his father might be like, where's this coming from? And his father might be might suspect him. So there's tactics going on here on the side of Danny and his partner or political partner or whatever, whatever she is to him. Um, And it's. Uh, yeah, I, even in that that scene before they even get to the to the base, I did not know how to feel about Danny. You know, I again, the, do the ends justify the means like is sacrificing your relationship with your family worth taking down a company for? I don't know. It's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that angle is so contemporary and so relevant. I so similarly uh it's no secret that in, in my you know non podcasting or music life, I'm a, I work for an NGO, and and I you know we, but we both have from different angles pretty extensive um, professional and personal histories with. "Quote unquote" whistleblowing, you know. In, in my line of work, just today, you know, we were talking about advocacy efforts to convince large corporations to treat um, supply chains better, to you know, to keep in mind the needs of small scale farmers, to incorporate gender work into what they do. We have four independent evaluations going live next week about this. It's something that, like, every day, I'm very much also steeped in that mindset of, you know, we have to do what we take not to what what we can, not to take these corporations down, but to use sometimes antagonism and and kind of threats of going public with certain things to get them to change their behavior to to be to be better. So I similarly 100% you know seeing that Gabriel Cruz was this hero of this like freaking horrible corporation Dutani, and seeing that he had power in that corporation I was like man this guy's going to be a douchebag how am I going to root for him? You know he sucks. He, he was also this absentee father, he did it for the money at least according to Danny Um, You know, he lives in this incredibly luxurious place on Earth now. He seems like set up for the rest of his life. Um, And he seems like an asshole, right? And then I start looking at the language that Danny and Iris and other gorillas are using to talk about Wayland yutani and I realize how dehumanizing the language is. And I recognize things amongst, you know, myself and my peers and my friends— who are quote unquote woke right which is that we we sometimes can forget that uh, there's a humanity on the other side of these conversations that needs to be addressed and needs to be worked with you know you look at the way that they talk about Waylon Jutani; they call them fascists mm-hmm. over and over again right i don't have any particular feeling that that you know gabriel cruz is necessarily politically speaking a fascist right Waylon Jutani might be doing fascistic things but they're, they're, they're not using names. They're calling them fascists, right? They keep saying over and over again, don't forget, we are the good guys. We're the good guys. Don't let up. We are the good guys, right? Um, and then immediately they jump to violence, right? Like Danny points out, we had restraints with us. Why did you shoot these people, right? And we see the people that they're shooting from mm-hmm. a really humanized standpoint, yes. which makes it yes. very powerful. And you and I talked about that a little before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think, is important. That because, moment broke as we my know, heart. It broke my heart, too. And I, w- I want to get to that in a second. But as we know from talking to Philip, like, he understands, it, he, he feels the way we do and the way anybody who knows Alien does. Waylon Jutani is obviously an evil entity. Like, that's not morally murky, right? But there are people in that entity who are doing their job and doing their work and who are kind of pulled along this career work stream and, uh, and like, are not, it's not a monolith, you know? And nothing is a monolith. And I think that is something I'm really interested in. seeing. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because it begs the question like, okay, so an alien, you hear Ripley guess maybe they want this creature for their bioweapons division. Bioweapons division against who? Who are we talking about? Is there anything inherently wrong with that? Maybe not. Is there anything inherently wrong with a company saying, this is a fascinating creature. It's deadly. This could help us, whether they're fighting other other alien life on other planets that they're conquering at the same time. Do they have the right to do that? Do they have the right to go into an, a new planet and introduce a creature to annihilate this planet so that, that, that then they can take it over? I don't know. Um, but uh, at the same, I mean, you po in terms of like, is Gabriel a fascist? Probably not. But does he work for a, a company? that is nefarious and um, dubious and underhanded and uh, malevolent? Sure. Does that that make him complicit? Maybe. But at the same time, we can ask the same for any of our friends or family who work for large companies. Um, And the large companies are suspect. And the large companies are under the microscope for... So such and such behavior. Um, it's a tough one, man. Like there is no easy out here. Right. Um,
1: like Gabriel Cruz is not proud. Like he he wants to get the hell out of there. Right. They're throwing him this party and he is like grimacing the whole time. He just wants to leave. He is not happy with this. He keeps looking back at the picture from before his Wayland yutani days when he was a Marine, supposedly or, or whatever that's referring to. And that's the picture that he has out. He doesn't have Epsilon Station, you know, out he feels like clearly miserable that he did that. And I think that that must be another experience that we're going to be mining the depths of as it goes along.
0: I think as we talk about this and what this comic and we'll see what the other issues have to say um, it, it sort of opens the book on corporations and what they are. And I was thinking about whether Gabriel is complicit. You don't really know. However, we know Walmart is a horrible company. Um, however, Walmart employs most of the communities they're they are in. They are responsible for those jobs. And even though many of those people tend to be on, um, and I don't want to get too far down into this like sort of sociopolitical topic, but these are the questions that Wayland Dutani asks. Um, so for instance, with Walmart, um, they have terrible business practices. They don't pay their people enough. Most of their employees are on government assistance. However, if the Walmart in small town wherever were to close, hundreds or thousands of jobs could be lost. So it's kind of like, ah, do we take the good with the bad? But the bad's pretty bad. Um Wayland Utani, of course, is a different operation. They're, they're, these are world builders. These are world conquerors. Um, and maybe they're the biggest company that employs everyone. Like, uh, the world has changed so much that Wayland Utani is the buoy um, for millions of people, millions or billions possibly, and people in other worlds. Their their income. Their supplies, their food, their everything is dependent upon Weyland-Yutani. So what do you do? And then then what do you do when this company, who owns almost everything, decides that we need a bioweapon? And this is a good opportunity. However, this company also believes that sacrificing human victims is appropriate, which is, of course, abhorrent. Um, but what happens when you take down the system? Could it be collapse of everything? Possibly. What do you do? I don't know. Uh, but I love these questions. I think, yeah, this is the larger. This is the step back from Ripley. Ripley was fighting her own battle and she was trying to save her friends and um, do what she needed to do when it was important. But this is the larger question. What do you do? What do you do with this company? And that's why
1: I think this is such a great angle to tell this story on. And when we talked to Philip and we heard that this was going to be concerning Waylon Jutani more, I don't want to speak for you, but I know I personally, as a fan, was hoping that it would feel more like sort of a covert ops mission mm-hmm. within Waylon Jutani to take them down, or which it, maybe it will be, who knows? Or some sort of a, you know, like this is how evil Waylon Jutani actually is, or like this is this is what they were up to. And obviously, I'm sure those things will come about. But what's so interesting is that we're starting with this weirdly humanizing Waylon Jutani mm-hmm. experience right? And it doesn't feel like Philip is is excusing, you know, Wayne Johnny It doesn't feel like he's trying to say like they're, you know, not who you think they are. It's not like he's trying to say these guerrilla fighters are complete assholes, right? He's saying there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had a chance as alien fans yet, ever, to to dive into that, we have never seen Weyland-Yutani outside of they are world builders, they're a military apparatus, they are, you know, capitalism run amok, they are a bunch of, you know, nameless people. I mean, we barely even ever get names for people employed by weyland Dutani. We do a couple of times, like in Aliens we do, right? And we get some deleted scenes showing, you know, Hadley's Hope, you know, with weyland Dutani people running around. But for the most part, it's just a bunch of faceless operatives who are just doing these terrible things, right? But you're right. There is more to it than that. And you can't understand evil until you understand the nature of where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And the nature of where it comes from is that darkness that Philip is talking about. The nature of where it comes from is something seminal. It's something deeper than just the bureaucracy of this company. So I, I think it's going to be so interesting to explore that. Um, I think it's going to be like, I I mean, I I can already see us doing many episodes. I really hope our listeners pick this up and keep reading it because like, I, I personally want to do more episodes Mm -hmm. on these comics. I think they're going to be so cool. And
0: Philip said he'd be back on to discuss, which I also can't wait. Um, I think, yeah, this is exciting. Yeah, Philip Kennedy Johnson,
1: for a guy as busy as he is, has maintained constant contact with us. He's been super nice and helpful. And he has reminded us a couple of times that he wants to come on just to, like, hang out and talk about Alien. It doesn't even have to be be about the comics. So, like, again, it's just a reminder that this is being helmed by such a fan of this franchise. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's somebody who obviously understands it in a way that is definitely on par with anybody listening to this podcast, I would think, right now. he just He's a deep fan of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I also want to do a quick shout out to Salvador La Roca's art. You know, I, I knew he was great cause I, I enjoyed his run on Dr. Doom so much, but seeing his aesthetic translated to alien, I think it's great. Um, I think that, you know, I, I feel like it's just really vibrant storytelling. The guru EFX colors look terrific. Um, and I think, yeah, again, I, I think that like last thing I want to say um, about it is I'm appreciating, here we go. I'm appreciating the fact that there are tropes in it. Because it is an alien work, but the tropes are handled like we're seeing them for the first time, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And to me, the way that that's accomplished is by putting us in a very human perspective witnessing these things. So, for example, in the flashback sequences, Gabriel's friend is co-marine who's being, um, you know, uh, cocooned is telling the story that runs throughout the issue gradually saying that he was supposed to be on leave, right He was supposed to be on vacation his wife or his partner Samantha or whomever or Shannon had won tickets in this raffle and like he wasn't even supposed to be on this mission this time like it, like like and he's talking about that as he's facing his you know imminent immediate death. And he's saying, like, man, how fucked up is this? Like, I wasn't even supposed to be here right now, Mm -hmm. right? And I've never heard anybody else getting cocooned or getting impregnated talking like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and likewise, the scene we were mentioning earlier with those Wayland Yutani dock security officers, they're having a conversation about grocery stores, which I just love, right? Mm-hmm. They're talking about how, like, the first thing they want to do when they get back is, like, get a couple of sweet grocery carts and, like, put some bags in them and just walk around and, like, pick out some garbage. And, and one of them's talking about how he remembers his brother, you know, when they were kids, like, opening bags in the store just to see if they could get away with it. And these very human, very earthbound moments really work for me because mm-hmm. they make us make it feel like, uh, you know, this is, it's real. The deaths are important. They're not just nameless entities. And that to me is a hallmark of really good writing and writing that I cannot wait to tune into like every month as this thing comes out.
0: Yeah. And uh, to that scene specifically, I actually thought, Oh wow, these are characters that are going to be in the, like I was getting to in the, that, that panel in those moments where you have the the one, the woman speaking about her female partner and like, oh, hey, like she just did whatever, whatever that she said that she did. And I thought, oh, these are going to be a part of the story. Like I, I was getting to know them in that in those few moments that, oh, OK, this is great. And then boom, their lives are over, which then again compromises the morality of Danny and his cohorts. Um, yeah, these people and,
1: we're kind of rooting for, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting, like you were talking about evil and what is evil. That's a good question. Um, as someone who is, you know, I, and I love that the alien. I love that we're going to be able to talk about this because that's. I think that what is evil is actually complicated to discuss, um, because I, I, the only question, the only way that I could understand pure evil is. Complete lack of humanity, complete lack of empathy. Do I see the aliens as evil? No, I don't. Um, as are they dangerous and horrible and absolutely terrifying? Yes, they are. Do I see the entity of Wayland Yutani acting as an arm of evil at times? Abso-fucking-lutely. Um, but it's complicated. It's so complicated. And again, the stories with Ripley were not complicated. This was a story of survival. This is a story of um, humans trying to battle um, and make the right decision in, in, a t- in the worst times of their life. Um, that's pretty straightforward. Um, and we, it, it was helmed by one of the greatest characters in science fiction, Ellen Ripley. Now we're in a situation where it's not that simple. It's all complicated. And who do we root for? Who do we root for and as you know someone who's like oh who do i root for who do i root for i like this i like that i'm like because we can talk about this and um i know this is going to be in a an unrelated discussion like a round table but you and i have been in some discussions about the marines in into charybdis mm-hmm. and
1: um, alex white's novel for those yeah of
0: you. and yeah, uh it. how morally compromised they are and how kind of Just they're they seem like terrible people at like moments of whatever. And there's been some controversy around their portrayal. And but what that controversy really is and what their response is, is that. They're they are portrayed without certainty. They're not just Hicks or Hudson or Drake. They're not this kind of warm, fuzzy kind of badass, cool guns. They're more than that. They are these are war torn um, people that gone through a lot that have kind of come out another side not the side of Ripley not the side of Hicks not the side of Hudson they've come out in um, a very morally compromised way and it's not you don't want to be around them and I feel like Bloodlines all of it is that way everyone is guilty everyone has a little bit of guilt in here and I can't wait to talk about that more.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think was so successful about Alex White's novel and some one of the things that we've been talking about quite a bit is how it's a chance to look at something that we kind of assumed was a monolith and take a look at it as what it is, which is humans mm-hmm. interacting with each other in very different ways based on very complex things. Right. Mm-hmm. And how like the Marines, like, sure, there's a lot of there is controversy about the way that they're portrayed in it, which is good because controversy starts dialogues. And that's a good thing. You know, there are like significantly heroic moments within them too right and it's easy it's easy to to look at something like you kind of have an understanding of it and then you get a great storyteller like philip kennedy johnson or alex white to say like hang on like hold hold on to what you are thinking that's okay but let's go a couple steps beyond that and investigate what led to that moment and then see if you see them as the same after that right and like we said you know, Alex White's novel, I still have just as much love and appreciation, if not more for the Marines and aliens. I, I think that they are even more special to me in some ways now. Um, and likewise, I think that you know we will have similarly reevaluated relationships with a lot of you know character types or a lot of corporations in that we're going to get in this particular ongoing bloodlines comic now that we will have as a result of this new work and again it's canon it's official it's you know it has the imprimatur of disney on it so this is like i said in the very beginning an official look into the direction of where this stuff is going and mm-hmm. i think that like i mean I, I i i'm just floored everybody make sure you pick it up that i want to also call attention to um something that is happening similar to the blade runner comics which, which we also love which is that there are a number of um, variant covers available by like some pretty, you know, huge um, industry people. Like, for example, let me pull up the list here. Yeah, there's Steve McNiven. There's David Finch, who I freaking love. Um, Patrick Gleason. Oh, I didn't even know he did one. He's one of my he's doing uh, a lot of Spider-Man work right now. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up the list right now. There's tons of different covers out there. So call your comic store and ask them to hold on to them for you if they get it, because the more issues this sells the more likely it is that your store will be able to get those variant covers because sometimes it's like you know if you sell you know a thousand you get so many variants and things so call your comic store make sure that this is in your pull bin make sure that you're you know on the list um and uh and and continue to to show support for it if you like it because like me and and jamie this is something that i think i i just i really hope we get to talk about these for a really long time so thank you all
0: yeah yeah Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll be back with issue two to discuss. Um, I would love to do a roundtable about this. I think it would be fairly lively, fairly lively discussion. Oh, yeah. Um, For those of you listening, we have a program called Patreon. You can sign up for $4 a month. If you do, you can get our our library of films from our show, Frame Rate, which is... uh, uh um, film review show um there's a lot there there's shit show which we have a few episodes of and way more to come again it starts at four dollars per month less than the price of a latte probably around the price of a cup of coffee um and so you go to perfectorganism.com forward slash support and sign up so
1: without further ado Every single one of these names, uh, thank you from the bottoms of our hearts, and thank you for the support and for keeping a lot of projects that we have that we're very excited to talk about alive in the coming months and years, starting with... Alexander Gates, Andy Geek Girl, Ben Fletcher, Brooke Nestor, Burke Burnett, Carla Rosa, Chase Cupo, Chris Murphy, Christopher Egan, CL11B, Craig Wright, Dan Ferlito, Daniel Purpletree, Darren Gold, Dave Joyce, Dave Turner, David Benson, David Holmes, Dom, Douglas McNaught, Dwight Paulson, Erica Ferlito, Fred in the butts, Gene McDonald, Graham Zerk, Jackie Childers, Jason Struess, Joe Miller, Joel Thomas Ramos, Jan, John Ransom, uh, Jan Herbertson, Jonas Holmston, Jordan Mason, Julian Casey, Carl McLean, Ken S., Kevin Palm, Kaidi, Mark Lemke, Matt Bro, Matt Lowe, Miguel, Mike Dennis, Murray Kucharawi, Nathan Gribble, Nigel Carroll, Nuccio Ferlito, Paul Goodfellow, Paul Middleton, Perry Chicos, Peter from the Midwest, who's coming on Just Winging It next week, by the way, if you listen nice. to my other show. Yeah, <laughs> he's making a return appearance. Just Winging It available on all platforms. Good show. Uh, Priscilla Rachel Cordy Reno D Richard Blackwell Richie Ammons Ricky Howell Ryan Zade Sethicus0480 Stephen Bischoff Steve Appleman, Stuart Fowether Thomas Kruatz Thuringen Lack Tim Hazeldeen Tim Lawson Tom Christie Wesley and Xander House uh, every single one of those names is uh, so appreciated and if you want to join them like Jamie said just go to our website go to support and, um, and join our Patreon get tons of content including new video game content that we have dropping any moment now Uh, and we will uh, we'll see you there thank you everybody
0: thank you for more on Perfect Organism the Alien Saga podcast please visit perfectorganism.com Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean iTunes Google Play TuneIn and Spotify if you'd like to support the show please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.